grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. How do you escape a trap? How do you escape a trap? In our gospel reading today, Jesus steps right into one that has been laid for him by his antagonists, the Pharisees, and they trap him by asking a question about a topic that was no less controversial then as it still is today. What are we talking about? Taxes. They ask him a question about taxes. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, this is no innocent question. And just think for a moment about the stakes of how Jesus should answer this question. On the one hand, if Jesus says to them, no, you shouldn't pay taxes, then suddenly he has opened himself up in order to be accused of sedition, that he is somebody who is opposing Rome, and that might be expediting his fate if he says, no, don't pay your taxes. On the other hand, if he says, yeah, pay your taxes, nothing wrong with that. Then he alienates those among his tribe who are more nationalists and thinking, no, you shouldn't be doing that. We're not going to, to kowtow to awful Rome, which is keeping us under their thumb by no means. And so he's going to lose a whole big part of his, of his crew then. So what should he do? Either answer, either way that he responds to that, it's going to get something wrong. It's going to offend someone. Not that Jesus ever seems to be too worried about offending people. But suffice it to say, the question is a volatile one. He has a trap right before him. And how is he going to escape it? Now, you and I also sometimes find ourselves in these such traps, these difficult conversations, typically not life or death stakes, right? But it can still be challenging, unsettling and awkward. It still can be difficult. For instance, you're, in a few weeks, going to be at deer camp, right? And all sorts of things. I know you guys have deep theological conversations at deer camp. Or you're on the sidelines at the soccer game. Or perhaps the trickiest place of all around the Thanksgiving table. And somebody pipes up and says, How can there really be a God if there's so much suffering in the world? And you're like, Pass the sweet potatoes? These kind of traps, these difficult conversations are out there for us in this world all over the place. If we're going to be known as followers of Jesus, folks are going to ask. And they should ask. So we need to be ready. But we need to be ready, not just in what we're going to say, but in how we're going to approach these conversations. How we're going to escape those traps when they come. And this is where Jesus gives us some great guidance He shows us not only what to say, but also how to navigate those difficult moments. This is what you might call the tactics, not just uh, the the strategy of apologetics, the the content of what we need to say in order to defend our faith, but just at a more basic level, a more practical level, like tactically, how do you navigate between those minefields when you find yourself in those difficult conversations? What do you say? How do you approach it? Where do you go? That's what I want to think about this morning. As we follow our Lord Jesus' lead, how he is tactically maneuvering, we see that he's able to to have these faithful maneuvers for fruitful conversation. And that's our goal too. So that ultimately, we can point to the only one who's able to actually help us escape from these traps. Okay, so let's 
Look at our Lord Jesus and think about what's his process, what are his tactics, his maneuvers that he is able to work out of this trap. Step one, step one is this, to recognize that you have a trap. Recognize that you've got a trap right in front of you. So it's very obvious in the gospel reading, we're told that the Pharisees were, were scheming to figure out how to entangle Jesus in his talk, right? Like, these guys seem like pretty bad guys. You just imagine them over on the sidelines, right? Like, yes, they're twirling their mustaches, right? Like, how are we going to trap Jesus? And so they do it by trying to butter him up, right? A little bit of flattery. Oh, teacher, we know that you teach truly and that blah, 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 blah. And Jesus is like, all right, just stop, guys. You hypocrites. I'm not saying that we should always necessarily follow Jesus. He's Jesus. He can do that. If you and I are just straight away like, you hypocrite. You're probably not going to have a great conversation, but Jesus, particularly in this moment, it's fair, right? But Jesus calls it out. He's not even going to get in the arena with these guys when they ask this question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He doesn't even engage because he recognizes the trap that has been set for him. And notice how this trap, this question, is the problem with it isn't just the content of the question about taxes. But it's the very structure of the question, right? It's the way that it's framed. It's this kind of either-or question of, you know, should you pay taxes to Caesar or not? There's just two options that are put right before you. And it's one of those classic kind of questions like, you know, when did you stop kissing your sister? It's like, wait, there's no good answer for me here. Uh, it's that kind of question. Psychologists call this narrow framing. Narrow framing is when a, a topic or a question, an issue, is placed in such a way, often in this either-or sort of way, so that it's like you only see this little sliver of the topic of the, of the issue at hand. And the problem is when you and I capitulate to that, when we give in to that, we step into that trap and we accept whatever narrow frame is put before us. Somebody asks you, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus recognizes that the trap isn't just that content of the question, but it's the very way that the question is framed. And that if he starts answering it just as how they have asked it, he's already ceding way too much ground, way too much territory to his antagonist, to his opponents. The one who, who asks the question, if you just follow along, then they're in the driver's seat, aren't they? Then you're just going along with that narrow frame and you are being constrained and constricted by it. So let's think about this. For us as, as believers, we find ourselves having these difficult questions as people pose these things to us. And I don't mean to say that it's always in a, a way that is openly antagonistic or mean-spirited as it clearly is for the Pharisees here. Sometimes people genuinely just want to know, but they put before you questions that are clearly traps. So imagine, for instance, you're at like a block party neighborhood block party, and there's a bunch of folks from the neighborhood, and you know them a little bit, you're kind of acquaintances, they know you well enough to know that you're a Christian. And so somewhere along the line, they suddenly just pipe up and they say, hey, uh, you're a Christian, so why do you Christians hate LGBT people? Ooh, what do you do now? You can start bumbling over yourself and being like, well, see, we just, we, we hate people because eh, you've already failed, right? Like, not a great look to start talking about how we hate people. And you're like, do I even want to accept this premise? Is this a direction that I want to go? We've already seeded the ground if we accept the question and that framing. Like, well, wait a second. This is not a helpful way of thinking about it. And yet, it's precisely those kinds of questions that you and I are facing and are going to be facing more and more. 
Step one to, get, to escape from that trap is to recognize that it is a trap and not to simply step right into it. Okay, what's next? Jesus shows us step two, which is not simply to accept that question. He refuses the trap, but instead to return that question with a question. Returns the question with a question. Because they ask him this question. He, he sees the problem and he goes on and he says, all right, bring me a denarius. And he asks them, he says, uh, show me this coin. Whose likeness and inscription is this? He volleys back to them the question that they ask. He goes right back to it. Whose likeness and inscription is this? He's answering their question with a question. Now, why is this so strategic? Because, uh, well, author Greg Kugel and his book, called Tactics, from which I get a lot of inspiration for this sermon. He calls this the Columbo Tactic. Okay. Now, show of hands, how many of you remember Columbo? Okay, for those of you under 50, you probably don't know who this guy is, but Columbo was this TV detective who seemed to be just really bumbling and he didn't really know what he was about, like he couldn't argue his way out of a wet paper bag, right? And he, he would just say, like, should I do my Columbo impersonation? No, okay, Lily's saying no. You know, but he would ask these just silly, seemingly innocuous questions along the way. And yet he would be on the offensive in an inoffensive way by just asking simple questions like, oh, huh, tell me more, right? This is the Columbo tactic. And this is, in a sense, what Jesus does here. And it's step two for us if we want to escape the trap. Not only to, to recognize that there is a trap, but to respond to questions with questions, simple questions, like Columbo. And why is that beneficial? How does that, how does that help us? For, for many reasons. For one thing, just the most practical level, sometimes when you get thrown a hot potato right in your lap, just to ask another question can buy you some precious time to be like, what am I supposed to say here, right? So it can just buy you some time. But also, you know what? Everybody likes to be asked questions. They like to be, if you're genuinely curious and you're asking them, you're talking with them, folks are glad to be asked. They want to share what they believe. They want to, to talk about themselves. For many of us, that's our favorite topic, right? To talk about ourselves. And so it can curry favor also to ask, information, to, to ask questions. And it can also gain information. You get to know more about where is this person coming from? Why are they asking me these difficult questions? Perhaps there's a question behind the question, right? You're able to see that well. And also, in a, a kind of non-threatening way, it puts you back into the driver's seat of it, right? So now you're not just back on your heels. Okay, whatever they happen to throw at me, now I've got to deal with it. But back in a, a non-threatening way, you're able to take uh, control of the conversation again by asking your own question. So to go back to our example, you've suddenly had this hot potato thrown into your lap about why Christians hate people. And it's like, okay, what do I do with this? Well, what might be a natural next question to ask? Somebody asks you a question like that. You might say, well, why do you think that? What makes you think that we hate people, whether it be LGBT people or anyone else? Then they might start telling you their own story, things that they've encountered, uh, you know, attitudes that they've experienced from Christians along the way. That's some really valuable information as you're having that conversation. And not only that, now it's put you back on some common ground 
where you're able to make a connection rather than it being like, oh, we're, you know, we're about to have a battle right here. Like, okay, let's get the gloves on. Or do you take the gloves off? I forget which one it is. But if they're boxing, you put the gloves on. Otherwise, it's a street fight, take the gloves off. Either way, we don't want gloves involved, people. Instead, you get back on that common ground and say, listen, I'm a fellow human being, but tell, tell me more about where you're coming from here. Why do you ask this question? And, and why do you think that Christians fundamentally are just about hating people? All right, so that's step two. Step one, recognize the trap. Step two, return that question with a question, the Columbo tactic. And then step three, as we see from our Savior, is to reframe the issue. To reframe the issue. And so Jesus asks this question, whose likeness and inscription is this on the coin? And they say, well, it's, it's Caesar's. So now, now Jesus will lay it all out there in these famous words. Therefore, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Jesus just drops a truth bomb right in their lap. Like, okay, boom, mic drop. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now, you hear that, and you're like, wow, that's so brilliant, Jesus. But have you answered the question? Like, the question was, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Has Jesus actually answered that question? No. No, because rather than quibble about taxes, Jesus wants to get to the heart of the matter, see? And the heart of the matter is their relationship with God. Like, listen, guys, why are we talking about taxes when what really matters is where are you at with the Lord? Like, here's the Son of God standing right before you, and now you're just coming at me. Like, it doesn't look really good for you. But Jesus wants to get right to this heart of the matter. Where are you at with God? That's what matters most. And so also for us, when we find ourselves in these traps, we want to not only ask questions, and it's not just idle queries, we're trying to get back to the heart of the matter and to say, listen, what really matters, what we want to talk about is who we are as human beings, how all of us have strayed, who God is, and what he has done for us in his son, Jesus. Like, that's where we want to take the conversation, right? That's how we want to, to reframe things around our Lord, his identity, the gospel, what he has done for us. That's what matters most. So in the course of our imagined conversation with your neighbor who has put that hot potato in your lap, now you've asked some questions, you've gotten some more information, you say, listen, I'm open to a longer conversation about this and it's going to be a longer one, but you just need to know what's most important is that we have a God who loves all people who desires that all people be saved and that Christ laid down his life, not just for some people, but for all people. Listen, the questions that you're asking, they're not unimportant and I'm happy to talk about it with you more, but I always wanna bring it back to the heart of the matter and not lose sight of that. Not so focus on the kind of fingernails of the faith that we miss the heart of the matter. Does that make sense? Like we can get so fixated on these, these smaller issues that we lose sight of what is at the heart of it all, of who Christ is and what he has done for us and for all. That's where we want to take it. When we do that, then we find ourselves sprung from that trap, even as Jesus was. Jesus escapes from the trap, and how does he do it? He, he recognizes it, first of all. He returns a, a question with a question, then he reframes the issue around what really matters. 
That's the, the process to follow in our Lord's footsteps. But you know what the reality is? That for all of us, for each and every one of us, sometimes we will, we do fall into those traps and fall flat on our face ourselves. Now, I know there's nobody in this room probably who's had conversations like that where you walk away from them and you're like, ay, 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 what did I just say? Anybody else ever? Yeah. It's going to happen if it hasn't already. It happens all the time. And so what? It's all lost. Do we have no hope? No, listen. This is why Jesus came. Not merely to, to escape that trap, that one trap from the Pharisees. He came in order to free you and me from the ultimate trap. See, because behind the Pharisees' work is the one who's ultimately scheming above all. That lion who is out there trying to come after and find some more prey. Satan. And it's so interesting, the early church father, St. Augustine, he says that the devil thought he had Jesus in the ultimate trap when he had him on the cross. Now I've got him once and for all. But Augustine says, it was the mushibula diaboli. It was the devil's mousetrap. Because just when the devil thought that he had, boom, that he had Jesus, it turns out that the trap went the other way. And now that the devil himself was caught because Christ has been sprung from that ultimate trap of death, broke out of the grave, and now having escaped from that trap, he frees you and me, not only from the little ones that we might find ourselves in day to day, those difficult conversations, but from the ultimate trap of sin, death, and hell. Jesus has freed you and me from that. Psalm 124 says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. But it says, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We've escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped because Jesus is free from the ultimate trap. He frees you and me too. Springs us from whatever things we might find ourselves in day to day. And when we fail, when we fall, as we all do, he still lifts us up. It's because we're confident of that. It's because we know who our Lord Jesus is and what he has done for us that then we can, with fear and trepidation, enter into our day-to-day -day life prepared to have those hard conversations at deer camp, on the sidelines, around the Thanksgiving table. You know, this example that I've been using, it's actually a true example. A number of years back when we we're still living in Washington State, Anne was at a, a tea party with neighbors, and one of those neighbors, who was herself an LGBT person, was having a nice conversation, a friendly conversation with Anne. And then at one point, just seemingly out of nowhere, stops, puts a halt on the conversation, and says to Anne, hey, wait a second, why are you even talking to me? And Anne's like, excuse me, I was enjoying my chamomile. And she's like, no, 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 you're a Christian, right? You're a pastor's wife. Don't you hate people like me? And Anne's like, why would you think that? We're neighbors. Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself, right? It started a conversation then between the two of them as Anne was able to bring it back to the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done, his love for all people, y'all. I'd love to tell you that in that moment, our neighbor Catherine was just like totally transformed, converted, her mind made up, like everything was all good right there. But of course it didn't happen and it almost never does. But it did spring Anne from the trap in that moment. And more importantly, it opened the door for a continued conversation. 
And in that continued conversation, in that relationship, you and I are able to continually point to the one, the only one, who's able to set us free now and eternally. He's the one who sprung the trap. And that's the one that we lean on. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith.